State Theater at Playhouse Square. It's two middle-aged men in Cleveland, featuring entertainer Gene DiNapoli. And now, two guys ready to steal the spotlight, Ken Dworsnick and Ted Clark. Ted, we are supporting and sporting green items to celebrate a fine St. Patrick's Day as we dip into another episode, episode 46 of Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland. Ted, are you excited for this St. Patrick's Day? I could see it in your eyes. I could see the excitement. Will you dress like a leprechaun? Should I tell you that I have green underwear on? I'm glad you told me because I would never look. So... <laughs> My son uh, for uh, at school is making a leprechaun trap. Okay. So we'll have to see how that goes. It's pretty neat. I know a lot of people are going to be doing something for St. Patrick's Day, but I know in a lot of places, and I think it's smart, you have to set a reservation. I know a couple different places I was looking at, they, they basically said, hey, set a reservation. I think that's great. Obviously, continue to do social distancing and all that stuff, but I think my St. Patrick's Day is going to be a little bit low key. Corned beef, maybe some green beer, and that'll be it. Yeah. That's it. Will you be it. wearing anything green? Well, just like you, I already have it on, but you just can't see it. Okay. So, no body paint this year, no body suits. We're not going to do that. We'll save okay. that for the parade when that happens next year. What does uh, AO normally wear uh, uh, for St. Patrick's Day? Any Any unique? She wore like oh, this no. rock. Uh, no. no, you know what? Here's the thing. We I guess we were talking about this. I mean, I'm I'm not Irish. I am Polish, but so I do celebrate Dingus Day, which they're supposed to have this hey, year. Hey, can I don't? Can you say that on this show? I think so. Okay. Obviously, we're not that regulated by the FCC. Okay. Um, I just I don't know. Maybe I've outgrown St. Patrick's Day to an extent. You know, I guess when my kids are with me, we do a little bit of a celebration, but. I don't know. I'm just kind of past that whole thing. What about you? I mean, when's the last time you really went out for St. Patrick's Day? Now, for both of us, it's kind of difficult having children and families right. and all that. But do you remember the last time you kind of went out and said, all right, I'm going to celebrate St. Patrick's Day and have a couple brewskis? Nope. Yep. Not at all. Yep. If I want to have a beer. I'm going to have a beer. No, it's doesn't, pretty much it. It doesn't day have to be a special day. doesn't have to be St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> That's very true. As long as it's a day that ends in Y, I figure I, I'm allowed to have a beer if I want to. You deserve it. You Thank really you. do. Thank you. Hey, we want to talk about a legendary broadcaster. And I know the word legendary is passed around, in my opinion, a little more often than it should be. But Joe Tate passed away this past week. The great Cavaliers announcer. And everybody has all kinds of Joe Tate stories. And it was interesting, you know, I was listening when the news broke and I was, you know, a little sad, but all the stories are fun, happy, not a lot of sadness. I mean, obviously it's, it's unfortunate that he's gone, but it's, I think speaks volumes about the man when anytime you mention his name, Everybody has a fun story and it just puts a smile on your face. That's exactly right. He was just that type of guy. I know you have a story. What's what's your best Joe Tate story? Oh, I have a, I have a small one, but yours are probably going to be better. Well, let's see. I was fortunate enough to sit with Joe at a game at the Coliseum. 
sit, I sat right next to him and got to watch how he did things. And Ken, you've sat next to me. We've called games together. And, you know, I show up with a color-coded manila folder. I got that from Joe Tate. Wow. Uh, that whole setup is entirely from Joe Tate. The numbers in red, the names in blue, the notes, that whole thing I got from Joe Tate. He had it all right there. He didn't use it much because he knew the information, but it was right there in front of them, uh, in front of him. And then keeping score during the game. I was shocked to see Joe Tate keep score during the game. And he had a, remember those four color pens he used to have? I do. Yep. He had a different color for each quarter. So he could say quickly looking at his score sheet. Oh, well, uh, Michael Jordan has uh, 10 points in the game and six in this quarter right away. And I just picked up so much from that, learned how to keep, you know, you think, well, how do you keep score while you're announcing? Well, I, I didn't ask Joe what it did for him, but I can tell you for me, it kept me even more on top of what was happening in the game. I knew exactly where we were, what's the score, that whole situation. So that was an education in and of itself. Uh, two funny Joe stories. I was in the media dining area and Joe was sitting at a table and this was during the John Lucas era of the Cavs, which we all know you could count the number of victories using your hands and maybe toes if you really wanted to go far, but Muppets. yeah. And I'm going to preface this. Anytime I tell a Joe Tate story, I can't help, but slip into the Joe Tate voice. So anyhow, you have to Joe is a team on the team payroll sitting in the media dining area of the, of his employer. Joe, I have some bad news for you. I hope that's all right. Oh, that's all right, young man. I'm used to bad news. I enjoy it. I'm a masochist. I watch the Cavaliers on a nightly basis. <laughs> and I just thought, this, this is great. Doesn't care. He can say that kind of thing in the media dining area, and nobody cares. That was Joe. And then, and this is one that you probably remember, because I think we had just finished a Padua game, and we were driving to get a, a burger and a drink afterwards. And we had the game on, and it was a Saturday, and he was doing a read for tickets for an upcoming game, and he, the Cavaliers are going to be back in action on Wednesday night here at the Q. Good seats are still available. You can call 420-CAVS. And I'm told that even on a Saturday night when they'd rather be home making whoopee, well, operators are standing by. And... Two things happened when he said that. Number one, I almost drove off the road. And number two, I made a phone call. Do you remember who I called? You, I, I called you. With, yeah, you did call me. Yeah, <laughs> we, were, we were on route to go to uh, yeah. the Fox yeah, and called, the Hound, if I'm you. not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, and I said, did you hear that? Did and all this? I heard on your end of the phone was laughter. Unbelievable. Yeah, that was Joe. He was a so, classic. What's your uh, Joe Tate story? Oh, it's very quick. So it was... Many of you might know, I lived in Medina for a while and um, I would take my kids after events and they loved Eaton Park. So <laughs> as many people don't know this, Joe Tate lived in the southern part of, I would say, northeast Ohio. So he was like in the Lodi area, if I'm not mistaken. And I would see him at Mark's, you know, and then every time we go to Eaton Park, it happened two or three times. He was there either with his wife or with his mom. 
So we walk by one time and obviously my kids are super young. They have no idea who he is. And he's, you know, he's got that voice and I can't imitate him like you do. And it come, come through and he's like, hello there, young lady to my daughter. And I just <laughs> turned to him and I turned to the kids. I said, hey, this is one of the greatest announcers ever, you know, in Cavs history and in the NBA. And he turns and goes, young lady, I'll be paying your dad about $20 later on for that <laughs> comment. It was just completely classic. Just so nice. Just a nice man. And yeah, gosh almighty. It's uh, some great memories with him. There's no doubt. That's Joe right there. He always had time for, uh, there are so many stories of him, you know, uh, somebody's interested in Joe. He'd call if he got, if he got the information and said, you know, Joey in eighth grade's doing a, a biography and wants to do it on Joe Tate. If somebody from the Cavs got that information, Joe would call Joey at home and say, Hey, I understand you have some questions for me. I'm happy to talk to you. That's amazing. Unbelievable. That's no amazing. sense of celebrity at all. No, very down to earth, which obviously he, he portrayed that on the air as well, to be honest with you. And the funny part is many people don't know, obviously think about him with the cows, but he did stuff with the Indians. I mean, he absolutely he called Len Barker's perfect game. Yep. I mean, that was, that was, you know, one of the most nostalgic things in Cleveland and he called that game. And um, my last Joe Tate uh, uh, memory a young lady sang the national anthem at a Cavs home game. And it was not a particularly good rendition. Off key, just not very good. And when she hit the last note, you know, home of the free, it was like a cat was getting repeatedly run over while still alive. It was the most awful. It was just horrible. And usually Joe was able to time it. So the national anthem didn't go on the air because at that point it was just, you know, as part of pregame, but no national anthem is not normally on the air. Well, they came back out of commercial and caught the end of the national anthem. So you heard the last few bars and then her hit this horrible note and the home of the free. And there's a long pause. And Jerry said, Joe says, it's, basketball time at the queue. I don't know what that woman was singing, but the words sounded kind of like the national anthem. Oh, well. Oh my. <laughs> just a dry sense of humor. Oh, just, just amazing. Yep. And it did it throughout during the yep. game before the, I mean, it, he didn't miss a beat. It just kept going. And he used to do, he was kind of the, uh, basically master of ceremonies for all the new cap stuff. And so I heard a story. That's one of the last ones we'll tell when they introduced some of the new Cavs uniforms, I think this was back. I want to say like the early nineties, not very good. So okay. he's up there emceeing and they show off these uniforms and at the end of the thing, and he was never <laughs> master of ceremonies after that. So he goes, by the way, we got these great looking uniforms and hopefully soon we could get some great players to fill them. <laughs> <laughs> you yep. could not do that now. You no, could not you can't. get away with that now. Oh, just gosh. Classic. classic. Just so realistic, so down to earth, but so true with what he would say. Yep. Yep. Oh, gosh. Well, that, that, that's what I'm talking about. We talk about Joe Tate passing away, and we just spent five minutes telling Joe stories and yep. jokes that Joe would say on the air and it just make you laugh. That was the kind of guy he was. Amazing, Amazing guy. All right, well, let's let's move on. Coming up on the show, 
Mr. Entertainment. Yes. Gene DiNapoli is here. He's going to talk Elvis. He is an Elvis tribute artist. We're going to learn more about that and about his performances. I want to know where Elvis is now. Hopefully Gene can let us know. We better find that out. Yeah, this is this could be groundbreaking. We should get TMZ on the line when we get him on the for the interview. Hey, Buzz Lightyear makes an unexpected trip. We have details in that in our good news segment. The first Moondog Coronation Ball. 69 years ago this week. We're going to talk more about that in this week in Cleveland history. We have another misspeak of the week, and it's with, um, what's his name? Uh, well, that guy, you know, the yeah. the guy in charge over there. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll get it all sorted out. I, I Anyhow. In Klopp's Clips, it's a tale of romance, and it involves a roller coaster. Have you heard about Anchor? I'm not talking about the one for a boat. This is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money for your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Blah blah blah. Our guest today is known as Mr. Entertainment. And I thought that was my title. I guess I don't know. We'll have to check on this. I don't know. He performs as Elvis, half of the Blues Brothers, and he has a music variety show where he performs Sinatra songs, doo-wop, Motown, and pop songs of the 70s and 80s. He is also a television actor, having starred in the show Kingpin, The Rise and Fall of John Gotti, and others. Let's welcome and let's talk with Gene DiNapoli. Gene, thank you so much for your time. Here's the first question. I'm going to cut right to the important stuff here. Is Elvis alive? Only in all haunts. <laughs> That's a great answer. That yeah. is, yes. So what is your connection to Elvis? I'm what's called a tribute artist. Okay. Or Elvis entertainer. I'm okay. I'm not impersonated because to impersonate someone means to assume the role of. And I never once in my 41-year career thought I was Elvis Presley. Okay. Fair enough. Well, what makes a good Elvis performer in your eyes? In my eyes, I think to be a good Elvis performer, you need to be an Elvis fan. Uh, because there are guys out there that do it just for money, just for girls, or just for the glory. And you can tell those apart from the fans who actually study Elvis or know the idiosyncrasies of what he performed and what he did. And that conveys to an audience. 
Gene, as a tribute artist, when it comes to different sets, let's say, you know, you're performing for this group or for that group, how do you come up, come up with what you're going to perform with and what songs you're going to sing? It's a twofold. When I do shows in restaurants, it's a 90-minute straight show, which equates to about 30 songs. And so there's always 15 to 18 you have to do. If you don't do these songs, they will lynch you. <laughs> <laughs> the Blue Suede Shoes, the Hound Dogs, the All Sugar Up, the Lovely Tenders, okay? Then I pick four or five songs that I want to do because I really like them. And they could be album cuts or one-off performances that Elvis only did once. But that's what makes me happy. And what makes my show different is that I always ask the audience to give me some requests. So my shows, although I play the same places all the time, my shows are never the same. So my shows are constantly changing. I have people that come to my shows to see what outfit I'm gonna wear because in the scope of the local guys, I have 30 different outfits where other guys might have four or five. Holy cow. But, yeah, I have one guy that comes to see me every month just to see what I'm going to wear. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then you got the people that want to try to stump you. And, uh, you know, I say, okay, if you give me a song and I can't sing at least one verse and one chorus, I'm going to buy you a drink. And to date, I have not had to buy anybody a drink. Wow. That's, <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. Now you're also an actor. You starred in, you've starred in a few TV shows. I can tell from your New York accent and your last name that uh, there's a little Italian there. I know you start as the uh, in, in the show, the rise and fall of John Gotti. I'm interested in that, but, but I have another important question for you. Do you know where Jimmy Hoffa is buried? Uh, if I tell you that, then I have to kill you. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I don't need to know that bad. So tell and, me about, uh, to be honest, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm from Oklahoma. I'm not even from New York. No. <laughs> Uh, I am New York born and bred, very proud of it. And uh, yes, unfortunately, because of my heritage, my acting capabilities have been limited to just certain genres of uh, television and movies. But I've recently played a uh, detective in two different shows. You know, we got a couple of things on the pole, playing a dad in one TV show. And then there's a play I'm involved in, if Broadway ever opens up it's called conversations with an average joe and it's a political play and i play a veteran which i was never a veteran i have nothing but mad respect for our vets past and present uh but that's going to be a little bit of a stretch for me because i i was never a veteran i was never in the conflict i was never in the services so that's going to be a little stretch to bring that character to life but yes uh rise and fall of john Gotti was a show we did it was actually the first show, the first job I went out for, and I got the next day. I beat out 5,000 actors all over America. Wow. Uh, and the next month, I was on a plane to Bogota, South America, for three weeks. It's the story of John Gotti, his rise to power. I play uh, his best friend, Angelo, and then the decline of uh, what happened to John Gotti and the so-called organized crime syndicate. Gene, how did this whole thing start for you? Was this something you've always wanted to do or did it kind of transform to that? How, how did you get your start? 
Well, I was an Elvis fan since five years old when I first saw him on TV in a, a movie after school called Girls, Girls, Girls. And he was singing Return to Sender. And I said, wow, this is cool. The guy's singing. He's not only singing to one girl, he's singing to two girls. So I said, oh, this is a life. So, <laughs> so five, yeah, right? At five years old, I knew it. So from five to 14, I would practice every day after school in my bedroom without anybody in my house knowing. And then when I was 14, my uncle owned a restaurant and we went up there for a birthday party and he asked me to get up and sing uh, a certain song with him. And I knew the song, but I was a little shy off it. And then after the song was over, he left the stage and I turned around to the band and I said, uh, do you guys know Blue Suede Shoes? And he goes, yeah. I said, well, I want to sing it. And he couldn't tell me no because my uncle owned the restaurant. And he goes, okay, what key do you sing in? And I said, what's a key? <laughs> so he started singing the first line. So I sang the first line. He looked at the keyboard. He goes, this is going to be good. So there, my, my parents, my mother, my stepfather, my brother, my aunts and uncles are all in the front. And I break out into blue suede shoes. And the place goes crazy. N not because I was so earth shattering great, but I was little Gene who grew up in this restaurant and now I'm in front of a six-piece band with 300 people in the place, and I'm doing I'm doing Elvis. I'm 14 years old. I'm doing Elvis. It's like <laughs> they're going crazy. So I did two songs. Then I sat down, and my uncle brought me over a banana split. And he goes, this is your payment. And I said, wow, okay, if I can get banana splits. <laughs> so then the, the place was still buzzing. So then they said, would you get up again? So I did the same two songs. And then the band said, do you know this? So I wound up doing four songs. And by the time I got done, there was $400 on the stage. Wow. Being thrown at me. And I thought it was because I was, you know, groundbreaking. But it was because my mother was the hat check girl. You know, Rosie, that's Rosie's kid. <laughs> so the next day I wake up. And I don't know if you know Italian opera singers. They wear a bathrobe with a... With a so I come down from my, my attic bedroom and I got a bathrobe and I got a, a towel around my neck and it was Sunday and Sunday was, you know, chore day. You did the lawn, you did the, the laundry. So my mother said to me, when you're done with breakfast, take the laundry down to the basement. And I looked at my mother and I said, and I put my hand up and I said, I'll get to it when I get to it. <laughs> and I never saw the punch coming. She knocked the towel out of my neck. I went flying off the chair. She knocked the ego out of me right away. So it's always what I aspired to do uh, in my bedroom. And then when I had the opportunity, I did it. And this next month, March 14th, I celebrate my 41st year in show business. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's outstanding. Now we'll give you a chance. You guys are both in Cleveland. Yes. yes. So, um, when I used to sing, my cousin had a big hit in the 60s called Peppermint Twist. Okay. You know Joey D? I do not. Yeah, they got a new dance and it goes like oh. this. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Joey's my cousin. And when we used to work in Ohio, we used to work for a guy named Mickey DeVinco, who was Judy Garland's last husband. Oh, oh wow. And Judy Garland had uh, three pairs of the ruby slippers. One she gave to the Smithsonian, 
One she gave to 20th Century Fox, and this guy had the last pair. And I held the pair in my hands. Wow. Holy cow. That was great. And uh, I've been to the Rock Hall many times. Thank God for Alan Freed. (laughs) Yeah. Love Cleveland. I really do. Awesome. Oh, that's really cool. That's a great story. I have to ask this question. I know you've probably been asked this 85 million times. <laughs> what is your favorite Elvis Presley song to sing? Well, I got two of them. Uh, first off, Burning Love, Ken, because uh, when Elvis did Burning Love, he was 37. He was considered a has-been. And in the middle of the rock era with Zeppelin and Kiss and ELO, Elvis goes to number two on the charts which was pretty good for a aging rock and roller. And my second favorite to do is My Way, uh, because although it was written for Frank Sinatra, I don't believe any performer did things their way more than Elvis, because when Elvis came out in the 50s, rock and roll was still an uncharted territory. uh, And it could have went either way for Elvis. It could have went good or bad, uh, but he went with it. And um, thank God it worked out good. Uh, so I think Elvis deserves that song uh, just as much, if not a little more, than Mr. Sinatra. Gene, uh, can we get you to hit a couple uh, bars of one of those for us? How about we do uh, something a little easier? Because okay, it's still, it's still morning here where okay, I okay, fair you enough. Do uh, <laughs> well, I'm missing my soul. What's wrong with me? I'm itching like a man on a fuzzy tree. My friends say I'm acting wild as a bug. I'm in love. Uh. I'm all shook up, ooh, ooh, yay, yay, yay. That's all you get for nothing. That's sad. Uh, that was tremendous. <laughs> that is, that <laughs> is standing. All right. Thank now, can, can we get you to stick around and play a little game time with us? I'm here with you, baby. Here's some good news. A boy named Hagen was flying with his family and landed in Dallas, Texas. His family deplaned, got its luggage and a rental car, and were on their way when Hagen discovered his Buzz Lightyear toy was missing. Oh, man. Uh-oh. Meanwhile, the Southwest plane made its next trip to Little Rock, Arkansas. That's when a ramp agent named Jason found it on the plane. The toy had Hagen's name on the foot. So Jason checked the passenger list from a day earlier to find the identity of Buzz's owner. So Hagen puts his name where Andy's name would have been. Yep. Outstanding. Well, a few days later, Buzz, the toy, returns to Hagen's house in a package that also included photos of Buzz at the Arkansas airport, along with a letter detailing his adventures. How cool is that? That's very neat that everybody got involved to make that a really special experience for, for Hagen. That's really, really cool. That's unbelievable. And that is some good news. Cleveland! This is for you! Well, another This Week in Cleveland History, March 21st, 1952. WJW AM radio disc jockey Alan Freed presents the Moondog Coronation Ball at the Cleveland Arena, where an estimated 25,000 attended the first rock and roll concert ever. I repeat, ever. That's amazing. Unfortunately, the capacity of the arena was half that. (laughs) Some accounts of the evening say fire marshals had to shut down the concert after the first song by Paul Hucklebuck Williams ended. 
Others suggest the event lasted longer. One reporter says a frustrated crowd of thousands gathered outside when tickets were gone and eventually stormed the building about 30 minutes before the event was scheduled to start. Oh, boy. It wasn't until about two hours and 30 policemen later that a police captain ordered the event ended and the crowd slowly and reluctantly filed out. <laughs> oh, my. What do you think would happen today if police shut down a concert and said, go home? Oh, my. That would I be guarantee really you the crowd situation. would not slowly and reluctantly file out. No. No, I don't think so. Well, a live broadcast of the event was also cut off the air, and the midnight coronation of the most popular teenagers was never held. Alan Freed made a public apology on the air the next day. Since then, radio stations WMMS and then WMJI have held the Moondog Coronation Ball annually in Cleveland, featuring oldies rock and roll acts. Unbelievable. <laughs> so the first rock and roll concert ever. May have only lasted people, one song. They had, they had to get out of there and 30 <laughs> policemen came to clear it out. That is absolutely wow. amazing. My parents used to go to this when they used to. Yeah. I mean, it was it was the best of the best in rock and roll. I mean, oh, you, yeah, you think of a who's who and all that stuff. I mean, what a what a great concert lineup it would be. You know, some of the most amazing people that you've you know ever heard Chuck Berry, things like that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> that's an interesting story. That's where that. uh, the Cavs mascot, for those who don't know, the Cavs mascot's name is Moondog. That's where that comes from. The Moondog yeah. Coronation Ball. Unbelievable. Yeah. Some great history. Have you ever attended the Boondog Coronation Ball? I have no. not. Have no, you I have not. Covered have you? It? Did you cover it? No, no. I mean, now it's just like another concert. It's not yeah. anything, you know, they, any oldies acts that are still performing. Hey, you know, book them. Yeah. I don't, I'm guessing they didn't have one last year. I don't know if it went at what time of year it is, but I'm guessing it wasn't in January or February. So no. I don't know. I when it'll resume. I would think probably sometime, I don't know about this year, but certainly next year, but uh, yeah. yeah, what a, <laughs> once again, another great story of, <laughs> of, of Cleveland history with another this week in Cleveland history. Cleveland, this is for you. Misspeak of the week now, President Biden was announcing the nomination of two female generals to lead U.S. military combatant commands at a ceremony at the White House when he attempted to acknowledge his defense secretary. I just want to thank you both, and I want to thank the, the, the uh, former general, I keep calling him general, but my, my, uh, the guy who runs that outfit over there. Uh, I want to make sure we thank the secretary for all he's done. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thank, thank that guy. The defense secretary's name is Lloyd Austin. That's his name. Not the him. guy who runs it over there. His name is Lloyd Austin. Earlier at the event, Biden mentioned the defense secretary by name, calling him Secretary Austin while appearing to read from a teleprompter. Uh, well... Oh well, 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 maybe we should stick with that guy who runs the place over there. I don't know. We've had something from him almost every week. Yeah. That is this week's Miss Speak of the Week. Time for our game time segment with our guest. 
Elvis tribute artist Gene DiNapoli, along with a man who likes to shake his hips, Ted Klopp. Today's <laughs> game will be Elvis Presley trivia. I'll read three different questions. You will each need to give an answer based on the multiple choice options. The winner will correctly answer two or more questions. Now, today's winner, big, big prize, gentlemen. You'll receive a peanut butter and banana sandwich, which Woo! was Elvis's favorite sandwich. Yes. Hopefully, Ted doesn't win because the sandwich may kill him because of his peanut allergies. So there you go. <laughs> hey, hey, Ken, you, you mentioned uh, me swib swiveling my hips. I don't know if you heard that thud, but I think my wife just fell over. I don't know. <laughs> All I'll right. Check on her in a little bit. Please do. Yeah. All right. We're going to start. Here's our first question of our Elvis Presley trivia. What was Elvis's first gold record? Was it I forgot to remember to forget? I want you. I need you. I love you, which I say to Ted very often. <laughs> Hound Dog or Heartbreak Hotel? Gene, you get to answer first. You're the guest. Once again, what was Elvis's first gold record? I forgot to remember to forget. I want you, I need you, I love you. Hound Dog or Heartbreak Hotel? It was the Heartbreak Hotel, baby. Okay, Ted? I have no chance here. However, just to be different, I will choose Hound Dog. But Hound Dog. I have a feeling I'm gonna be 0 for 3 in this game. <laughs> you are the Hound Dog, Ted, because the correct answer is Heartbreak Hotel. On January 27th. How about this? 1956. Wow. All right. So Gene is up one to nothing. Ted, Woo! you're in trouble today. There's no doubt. Okay. And what year was Highway 51 renamed Elvis Presley Boulevard? Was it 1971, 1957, 1968, or 1977? Once again, in what year was Highway 51 renamed Elvis Presley Boulevard? 71, 57, 68, or 77? Ted, you guess first this time. Well, unless you think he's still alive, that would be uh, when he left us. So I'll go with 77. Okay, Gene? 71. Ted, what do you think the answer is? Oh, I think it's 71. It's 71. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> Zero, Gene. Let's yeah. just make it a clean sweep here. Yep. Yeah. Question three. Elvis's family moved into his famous home, Graceland, in the spring of 1957. What film was Elvis filming during this move? Was it Loving You, Love Me Tender, Jailhouse Rock, or King Creole? Gene, you get to guess on the third and final question of the Elvis Presley trivia. Great question. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Jailhouse Rock. Okay. What what are the other choices, Ken? You got Loving You, Love Me Tender, and King Creole. All right. Once again, just to be different, I'm sure Gene has it. Uh, we'll go with Love Me Tender. Love Me Tender. Ted, what do you think the answer was? I think it's Jailhouse Rock. Jailhouse Rock all day, every day. Gene, three dollar winner. Congratulations. Woo! All right. Wow. Now, how, are you, how are you going to send me that sandwich overnight? We'll freeze it, ah, yep, first and yep, foremost. Yep. <laughs> yep, that'll be it. Hey, Gene, before we let you go, I know you have a you mentioned a podcast and a website where people can book you to perform, things like that. Tell us if they want to see you or book you or hear your podcast. Give us all that information, if you would. Sure, Ted. Thanks. Uh, everything I do, social media is under Gene Denapoli, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, 
Twitter, Instagram, or my website. It's just Gene DiNapoli. And that's the only thing they got to remember. They see the show live on Mondays or they go to YouTube any day of the week, type in my name and all the shows come up. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of Elvis related shows. We just did one Monday with one of his backup singers. Last month we had uh, his stepbrother, the, the director of one of his shows, one of his ex-girlfriends. We added some great shows and they really showed people um, some insight on Elvis. So they're very entertaining. So once again, just genedanapoli.com or all across the board on social media. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Gene. I hope that the pandemic loosens up here and we're able to see you back on the stage. I'm guessing that primarily the podcast and maybe some virtual stuff at the moment. Is that kind of it for now? I live in the five boroughs, the Bronx, but Westchester County, Long Island, and uh, other counties are not open, are open. I'm sorry. The Bronx, the five boroughs is not open. So we have to travel to Westchester County or Jersey or Connecticut, but we still do some restaurants. Everything okay. again is on the website. Uh, the podcast we're doing now to try to maybe have an interview show come up on Roku or something else because people like that format. Larry King, you know, God bless the, the guy, Larry King, the king of interviewers is no longer with us. So people like to hear little parts that they can't read. So that's why we started the podcast to give people a little entertainment and to let them hear different things that they wouldn't normally know. Awesome. Well, Gene, thanks so much for your time. And uh, I'll just say you ain't nothing but a hound dog. Thank you very much. Long live Cleveland. Ted Klopp here for Westminster AV. You've heard me talk about their top-notch rental services, but don't take my word for it. Here are some Google reviews. The Ohio Society of Association Executives says, not only do they meet every need we have, they anticipate additional services and requests that we have had and are always prepared. The Westside Catholic Center says the elements they added to our event enhanced every aspect of the evening. Very easy to work with, incredibly knowledgeable, and made adjustments on the fly. Whether you are planning a virtual or an in-person event, Westminster AV should be your first call for dependable, professional, audiovisual equipment rentals. Call today, 216-325-6960. Again, the number, 216-325-6960. The most trusted name in journalism, Klopp's Clips. Ken, it's time. Are you ready? Oh, I don't have a choice. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Let's get to it. A 43-year-old French woman says she is in a relationship with a roller coaster. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Gail Engel claims she shares kids with the ride. She says she's been attracted to objects since her teens, and as an adult, she became fascinated with Roller coasters. Her true love is the Sky Scream at Holiday Park. She says he hasn't had much luck dating humans, men that is. Angle says, quote, I collect the objects that represent him in order to stay connected to him. The love follows me everywhere. Oh, boy. Well, mm -hmm. they might be a little bit concerned if I was working at Cedar Point. You might have a whack job. <laughs> Hanging out with your roller coasters. It's yeah. a possibility. 
I wonder how we know that the Skystream is a boy. That's a great question. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How do you hmm. check that? I'm not sure. A Tennessee woman wants recognition from the Guinness Book of World Records for her collection of Winnie the Pooh memorabilia. <laughs> Donna Fee has more than 16,000 different items collected over 31 years. The current record for the largest Winnie the Pooh collection is more than 14,000 items. So there's already a record for this kind of collection. Main reason I included this story this week, Ken, is so I can say that's a lot of poo. That's the only reason you did. There's Pretty no much. doubt about that. That's a Washington man is accused of stealing a 400-pound slide from a playground and mounting it at a bunk bed in his mobile home. Detectives were investigating not, not the slide, but no, stolen catalytic converters when they executed a search warrant at 30-year-old Dustin Allen Bushnell's home. That's how they discovered the slide repainted and sawed off at the top so it could be mounted to the bunk bed. Oddly enough, they also found the stolen catalytic converters. And that investigation continues. Oh, boy. Give me the slide. Yep. Residents in a small English town have a communal library in a converted red phone booth. Recently, though, a problem has popped up regarding the books in the booth. Some of them are <clears throat> uh, not okay for all ages. For example, one title is Hot-Blooded by Nancy Holder and Debbie Viggle, in which the main character apparently tries to resist her own, I'm quoting now, animal urges. Okay. Village Council has gone so far as to issue a plea saying, quote, we love our red phone box library on Church Street, but we don't love salacious adult literature being left in there. Please find another outlet for your collection. Keep your smut out of our box, please. <laughs> no, thank you. Keep your smut out of our box. Okay, well, we'll just, I think this is, <laughs> I think it's time to end this collection on that note of Klopp's Cliff. A lot of rock and roll on episode 46, Ken. We got Elvis singing, and I still can't believe I lost the entire game. All three questions. I was nowhere close on any of those. Might have been a setup. I mean, yeah, let's be been. honest. You, you're not. You you have a lot of knowledge from from your days of Ignatius and Ashland, but I don't know if you have that much Elvis knowledge. So no. I, I thought that you might have some trouble this week. So. My wife is still recovering from you talking about me swiveling my hips. By the way, <laughs> she should be okay in a few days, but we'll see. Oh. Next week on the show, myofunctional therapist. Carice Laguerre is going to join us. Do you know what a myofunctional therapist is, Ken? Said I don't, but I'm going to find out. That's right. That's why we're having her on the show. I'm going to find out all about this. Apparently, it has to do with sleep, getting better sleep, and ADHD. Yes. It's another important topic. So this is actually, you know, we kind of joke about the name myofunctional therapist, but this has some practical implications for a lot of folks that might be a parent of a son or daughter with ADHD or just have some sleep problems, whether you're an adult or a child. 
Yeah, I, I look forward to asking a couple of questions, particularly myself, as obviously both of our kids have been diagnosed with ADHD. And then also I have sleep apnea and I'm looking forward to finding more about how I can reduce maybe even using my sleep apnea machine by this myofunctional therapy. So I'm, I'm interested to talk with, with Carice next week. On that note, Ken, I will just say you ain't nothing but a hound dog. I think that's a great answer, Ted. And I'm going to say one thing. We're just two middle-aged men from Cleveland. Two middle-aged men in Cleveland is sponsored by anchor.fm. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And by Westminster AV, custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.